0: Hello and welcome to Co op Cast. This week, Steve and Elijah will catch up on some reviews and get you all the co op news. Welcome to Co op Cast. My name's Steve, and this week's episode, we're going to talk about what the co op community has been up to, uh, cover cooperative news, and discuss the term fiddly. Joining me today is Elijah. Hello, everybody. How are you doing today? hopefully well out in podcast land. So let's just jump right into it.
1: So Elijah, what have you been up to lately? Oh boy. Um, just following game news, uh, I got some interesting developments. Uh, purchased Fallout, the uh, miniature warfare, Fallout warfare miniature game and um, taking a look at that rule book and seeing if that's uh, my cup of tea. So far it looks like it uh, will be. So uh, also hooked up with uh, my wife and and some friends you included at uh, at uh, game theory here in the Raleigh area so had a blast and uh, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that share your experience mine was uh, I, ha- I did not have any fun <laughs> <laughs> I was the trader in shadows over Camelot so that was uh, quite interesting <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah was, uh, so game theory is the local game store that both Elijah and I uh, like quite a bit so we have a group there. We try to meet monthly. Um, that's starting to form. So just another couple that uh, that meet there, and uh, Steve is is the guy who is on our Slack actually as well. Um, It's not confusing at all because his last initial is also K, just like mine. So it gets really confusing in games. <laughs> when it says, Steve, it's your turn. Wait, which, which Steve is it? <laughs> so uh, Anyway, yeah, so he brought Shadows over Camelot. It's the first time we ever played that. So that was fun. We, we uh, I enjoyed it qu- quite a bit. Uh, we did play with the Trader just because we had a higher player count, and uh, I still enjoy that. Um, we And then we played uh, Flashpoint Fire Rescue, which is one of those, um, I don't know, at this point, it's one of those staple games, I think. If you like have a, like a pandemic type ish game, um that's a really solid one in my opinion. And then uh played some codenames Duet, which is an awesome party game.
1: Yeah, that was really interesting to give clues like history four or leader three and watch you guys pass up uh what was it, King Arthur? <laughs> like I can't, so can't even bad. remember. But uh it was a uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun. Um there's a lot of people there and uh yeah, it was a good times. So actually it's uh, really good to play Shadows of Camelot. a lot. This one game I was uh uh wanted to play for quite some time so it was great to see that mechanically and um get it played and had a lot of fun no definitely
0: i'd like to do a quick shout out to dave for donating to our paypal account uh it's completely unnecessary but every little bit helps honestly it helps covering the cost for the podcast and doing stuff on the youtube channel the one-stop co-op shop channel um like i said it's not necessary because we're going to keep producing content regardless but honestly, every little bit helps and we really appreciate it.
1: Positive karma your way, Dave. Uh, may good fortune shine upon you. <laughs> there you go.
0: <laughs> Speaking of the community, uh, later on this episode, we'll hear from the Slack community what they think of our discussion topic on the term fiddly. So look forward to that. And if you're interested in joining in on this interaction, you're always welcome to join our Slack. It's open to the public and there'll be a link in the show notes. With that said, let's move on to some news. So there's actually quite a bit of co-op news to cover, I feel like. And so, let's just dive into it. The first game I'll mention is Cultist Storm. Uh this is a 3 to 5 player or possibly 1 to 6 player game. It's set in the Lovecraftian universe, so you know, you're Cthulhu, Cultist, all yes. that fun stuff. Yes, yes, more of that. <laughs> so it's a co-op game, of course, and you're working together to try to seal gates by playing um, unique action cards. So these are basically character decks that's unique for each player. Um, and the interesting thing about that it, it has a illustrator script book with, uh, I guess, 400 or more uh, fiction stories. So before you sit down and play this game, you actually read through on uh, one of these short stories and kind of set the scene and the, the the mood of the game, which sounds pretty cool. Anything that helps add more theme is a good thing in my opinion. And the one thing I would want to note about this is the Kickstarter copy of this has a ridiculous, ridiculous box. I mean ridiculous in a good way. Where this box that they're having for this looks like a like, uh, Necromonicon. With all these orange
1: glowing eyes, it looks really, really cool. How so. awesome is that. You owe it to yourself to check out the Kickstarter just for the box cover alone. I think it's unparalleled in uh, the community, board gaming community. Yeah. <laughs>
0: totally yeah, it totally reminds me of something like uh Ash and the Evil Dead, where he has this that like that book that's you know, messing with him attacking him. I feel like this box with that sculpt on it gets that same I don't know thought in my head. So cool. And that game is Cultistorm. It currently is not funded, but it has quite a few days to go. Uh, I was day, as of recording this, it has more than 30 days to go, um, and that's going to end January 15th. The next game we'll briefly mention here is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You might be saying to yourself, wait, isn't there already a game out of this theme? And yeah, you're completely right. But what's happening is they're making this fully cooperative and so there are going to be two new expansions coming out. Um, these are coming out in January. At least the Kickstarter is going to launch in January. And I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll let you guys know when that happens. But two new expansions are Change is Constant and City Fall. And I know they're making some other changes to the rules and uh, how the game is played a little bit. But we'll look into it a little bit more when it launches in January. Well, Are you a big fan of uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Elijah? <sighs>
1: Um, you know, I was a huge fan of it on Game Boy and Nintendo. I have many, many memories playing it. Um, but uh, uh, also the movie did watch that. So uh, other than that, I'm probably more Cthulhu. Uh, ba- I would be more of a Cthulhu fan than zombies. And um, personally, so how about yourself? No, that's fair. Yep. No, I
0: was a a big turtles fan. I used to watch the show um after school every day <laughs> was on tv <laughs> so it was awesome um dressed up as michelangelo a lot running about nunchucks uh yeah wow and obviously the movies and everything loved it so cool even my wife's a big fan of it and we may have the teenage mutant ninja turtle uh video game on our playstation now so we break break that out every once in a while because that's just a classic game to play okay and the next game we'll talk about is right busters F- project Rill. Unfortunately, this game uh, launched on Kickstarter ended on Kickstarter without us having much time to cover it, but I'm sure we're going to try to cover it more later. Uh, this game is a Weird War 2 co-op game. And what do you mean by Weird War? It means it's, uh well, not exactly World War 2, but a different modification or spin on it. So in this game, you have a, a Nazi faction that's totally fictional. But I, was, I think it was something like Hydra, where they're messing around with uh, advanced technology and robots and stuff. So you're fighting against these mechanized uh, soldiers that are kind of revived from the dead, so zombies, essentially. And you're playing as allied soldiers and going on uh, various missions. And this one uh, has a stealth infiltration uh, portion of the game in it, which I obviously love. So always interested in that type of theme. Cool thing about it is when you choose your characters you can actually choose the custom loadout so knowing the campaign you're going against maybe you can choose uh some equipment that may give you a leverage in that so it's just some strategy up front too which is kind of cool and every character has unique player cards that you can play as heroic moments in the game
1: steve one interesting thing about this Reichbusters is the funding period for this on kickstarter was a shorter duration i'm just kind of curious on your thoughts why would um somebody do that
0: yeah, I believe this one was only ten days or something like that. Um, and I saw a video where they asked that question to the team, and I, b- I believe the answer was that when you look at a Kickstarter campaign, the start of a campaign is very exciting, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of people jumping on, and then you kind of get in the middle zone, which could span for weeks, and kind of you know you slowly gain supporters, but not much. And at the end, it lasts twenty four or sorry forty eight hours. You get that notification that a lot of people join too. You get that surge. So there, I guess the thought was, well, when you have all this momentum in the beginning, why not try and feed it into that ending, the ending momentum as well, and keep it short and sweet. So, don't know if that was a wise decision or not. Or I guess it'd be interesting to ask them at some point if if they thought it paid off. But I guess that was their reasoning.
1: Yeah, kind of interesting. Um, looks like they raised just over nine hundred grand of their hundred thousand dollar goal, and I just kind of wonder if it was a little bit longer. Um, yeah, might have. Did better um than it did, but it still obviously was funded. It looks uh, like a very interesting game. Kinda gives me that red skull sort of uh Indiana Jones Nazi sort of feel to it, so it looks very cool.
0: Yeah, tons of minis in this one too, so so that game was Reichbusters, Project Rill, and it finished funding November thirtieth. The next game we will cover is Nemo's War, Bold and Caring and Dramatis Personi. So this game, Nemo's War, we've talked about in the past. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, it is a solo game, but you can be played co-op as well, where you're playing as Captain Nemo on the Nautilus and going on Adventures in the Seas. And there's a lot of different ways to play it. Uh, in this one, we're adding two expansions. One expansion is called Bold and Carrying. This is adding two new motives. And motives in the game basically set your uh, v- the victory point allocation and kind of nudge you one way or the other how to play the game. So each motive will actually change uh, fairly significantly how you how you approach it each time. So that's really nice. More replayability in this game, that's great. So those two motives are adventure motive, where now you'll lull turn. So there's op- sometimes in the game where you will not have uh additional actions. But this one will give you potentially two action points if you do this upgrade that you start the game with. And the intention is you would spend those to do adventures because adventures are easy to do during low, low, uh, phases. The other motive is humanness. In the base game, you had incitement cubes, which you used to basically cause havoc around the cities around the world. And this kind of flips it on its head a little bit and where the incitement cubes become goodwill cubes. So you're trying to, um, I don't know, just be nice to people essentially. <laughs> so, uh, be interesting. So yeah, adventure and humanness. The other expansion is Dramatis Personae, and this is adding new adventure cards to the deck, and these adventure cards are all geared around your crew, so it's providing more theme and backstory of the crew. Uh, for me, that's not going to matter a whole lot because my crew never survives to at the end of the game. <laughs> I always wind up sacrificing them off. <laughs> so, uh, Love it. But, no, I mean, it's it's really nice to add in them.
1: So, uh, more people to kill. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> Well, it's the same people. They just never make it through the whole journey for me right. because I need their help. Then, yeah, it's bad. <laughs> I'm not very good at this game. <laughs> it, this uh, expansion also adds new finale cards. So it's a relatively uh, a small expan- uh, Kickstarter where you can just get these expansions if you have the base game. If you don't have the base game, you can get the base game by itself or with the other expansion. And that was Nemo's War. Bold and caring. Dramatis Pasoni is... Currently on Kickstarter, and will end December 18th, and it is funded. The next game we'll talk about is Pandemic Fall of Rome. This game is not on Kickstarter, as it hit retail as of recording this episode. If you're not familiar with Pandemic, it is a very strong cooperative game I recommend checking out. Uh, Pandemic, the original game, you're running around trying to cure the world of diseases. This one, they're using a similar engine, but you're playing as the Roman Empire. Supports one to five players, and you're trying to stop Barbarian tribes from sacking Rome. So they added uh, five tribes in the game, which is kind of cool. They have Anglo-Saxon, Franks, Vandals, Huns, Visigoths, and Ostrogoths. And they actually did a pretty cool job of laying out real history with where they are located and how they act in the game. So you can look forward to that. If you're kind of a history buff, you might notice a few things. If not, it probably won't affect a whole lot in the game. But in the game, it adds quite a bit of differences to regular pandemic. Uh, You can march and sail, so that's your movement, of course. Uh, You can fortify, which is essentially building the research stations, but now you're building forts to stop the barbarians from advancing. Uh, You can recruit army to help take out the barbarians. You can battle them. Um, You can plot, which is exchanging cards. Uh, And the main thing you're trying to do is forging alliance. If you can forge alliance and have the barbarians join your side, That's one way you can win the game because if at the end of the game or before the the deck runs out or Rome is sacked. If you can have all the barbarian threats eliminated by either have them part of your alliance or not on the board, you win the game. And once they're part of your alliance, you can even enlist more barbarians to your side. So there's an additional loss condition in this game that Rome can get sacked. So not only do you have to play kind of the regular pandemic game with some really interesting twists with supply chains. But if the specific city of Rome ever falls, then you lose the game. Now, one thing that may turn off a few listeners, potentially, is there is dice combat in this. So just be aware of that. So that is Pandemic Fall of Rome. Now let's move on to a big game. This is Tainted Grail, The Fall of Avalon. It's a 1-4 player game, and it's a narrative. And when I mean narrative, I mean very strong narrative game, a campaign game. Set in a dark and grim Arthurian world. So we're talking about like King Arthur. But this is not your normal King Arthur stories. This is a, a different spin on it where you're playing as not the heroes but kind of more normal folk. But it's uh, it's not looking good right now with evils kind of taking over the land. So in this game, you are mostly going to be doing some exploring. and Exploration happens on tarot cards. And if you're familiar with 7th Continent, it kind of seems similar to that in a sense where you're going to be laying out this world and map as you explore, and you can actually go on uh, adventures by flipping over and you'll be reading through a book that has a lot of decisions to be made. And depending on what decisions you make about all these encounters, uh, it will branch. And you can also support combat and non-combat uh, approaches to the game, which is really nice. I always love it when uh, there's non-combat options, just, I feel like every game is all about combat and it's always nice to have something a little bit different in there.
1: One thing that's interesting, Steve, here is uh, on the Kickstarter page, they're touting over 100,000 words of branching storyline scripts uh, that provide many paths. And so it just looks to have a lot of branching storyline, a lot of quests, and again, with the location cards, quite interesting mechanic. Um, uh, These folks just put out Nemesis, which is shipping and most of people. And Europe seem to in Asia have it. Uh, looks like the US might come before Christmas, maybe a little bit after. So, um, definitely some solid games that they've put out in um, Lords of Hellas as well. So, lots of uh, gritty artwork. It reminds me a little bit of Conan. And um, so, if you're kind of into that sort of more serious adult fantasy dark theme, um, definitely worth a look. So, just to warn
0: our listeners, this is a darker game. Um, so, this is definitely intended to, to for mature audiences and I wouldn't recommend playing with kids so just take a look at it if that's not for you then I would probably pass on this but if that's if you're into that then I would strongly look at this game Um, it's doing quite well it's actually if you haven't heard about it already it, it hit the uh, two million dollars uh, in its first 24 hours of launching so it's doing great so that was Tainted Grail The Fall of Avalon and the campaign will end December 28th Okay, now let's jump into our discussion topic. So, oftentimes when talking about games with people, every once in a while hear the term fiddly gets thrown out there. And I feel like fiddly has different meanings for a lot of different people, so I wanted to have a discussion about that in this podcast. Maybe we can come to some type of agreement or at least share what
1: other people might mean from fiddly. Well, I just want to start off, Steve, by saying uh, according to the dictionary, fiddly is requiring close attention to detail or difficult to do because the parts involved are small. So kind of interesting how um, that is definitely a word in our vernacular. And I'm kind of curious to see where this discussion goes.
0: Yeah, sure. So what do you consider
1: a fiddly, Elijah? How would you define that? So for me, fiddly um, is many different things. And, you know, it's one of those things that is uh, personal taste. Um, it's really... Depends on the game. So if you really love the game and it's fiddly, you're going to probably overlook that and not mind it. But for me, fiddly is um, several things. One of them is um, I would consider it's the amount of time devoted to the game upkeep or the player state versus actual playtime. So, for example, if you have a lot of um, time devoted to keeping track of your player and the cards and sort of the tableau, your hand um, or the game state itself, well, is it day or night and, and wait, is that guy here or is that available or shut? If there's a lot of that upkeep for just keeping track of the game state or the player state or, you know, their tableau, that can end up being fiddly. Um, another thing I guess I would consider fiddly is exceptions to rules and exceptions to exceptions. And um, this can make it very difficult to teach um, it can also make it very difficult to remember um, if you break out that game six months later. Um, and sometimes there are, depending on the rulebook as well, can not be laid out very well. And um, you end up flipping all over the rulebook looking for something like, I know I read that somewhere. And so that can end up being fiddly. So, um, and I also think it goes with the design of the game can end up being fiddly just by how it's designed so with a lot of why am i doing this now when it would make more sense at the end of the player's turns or maybe this should be its own phase for example and so that can end up making the game feel fiddly um so rules and exceptions to rules um and to me uh you almost have three levels of fiddliness i guess if that's a word i'll coin that um So you have almost like physical fiddliness, which to me is clutter and lots of bits. Um, So visual and jarring UI can even be categorized as, in my world, uh, fiddly or the use of colors. Um, So if you think about it on a physical sense, you can have a lot of tokens and chits or stacks of things that are very be careful you know if somebody bumps the table you could lose it you could mess up the game state like wait was that over here or did I? you have two hit points that can actually be a physically fiddly game like why isn't those why can't we devote those tokens somewhere else why isn't there a spot for that deck of cards um And so you kind of have a physical level, just like with the components and playing and sitting at the table. Um, The other kind of thing here physically is just maybe a lot of decks. And so um, Dungeon Quest, if you're not familiar with that game, there's a a Crypt deck and a Catacomb deck and an item deck and a this deck, and it almost gets fiddly to a lot of setup and teardown where you have to sort and shuffle decks, and certain decks have to be shuffled in certain order for other games, and that can be fiddly. Um, Again, if you love the game and you love the theme, totally worth your time, you're going to do it. So you'll overlook that. Um, Then you also have mechanically, you know, what I would consider mechanical sort of fiddliness, where you're moving things often on the board, often on your tableau, you're moving counters, you're sliding things, flipping dice, keeping track of tokens and things, and it just gets really fiddly. So you know, that can be in and of itself. Again, all of that contributes to the game right how many hit points do you have where am i at Um, but ultimately it's all about the game state or the player state and that goes back to the amount of time you're devoting so for me you kind of have the mechanical and then you have what i would say is almost like the cognitive or logical fiddliness and so for for me this is um the point tallying at the end of games the score keeping um the stat tracking of a player and so again Most games, we have it, right? Um, You you need it. But if there's an excessive amount or with the way it's done, it can be logically fiddly. And so um, most point salad games are this way. Uh, Some games that implement it well would be, for example, maybe you're keeping track of points as you play. Um, You have round markers going up as you play. And so um, that makes it a little bit more streamlined. And then I guess I would turn it around a little bit and say... The opposite of fiddliness, right, that helps us identify what is fiddly. And so to me, the opposite would be elegant. And so an elegant game is a game that has um, a small set of rules. And even, um, you know, if we look at things like checkers, it's not very hard to learn or chess. Um, there's a very small set of rules. And so to me, that's an elegant game. When the, the less the, I mean, if you can teach somebody a game with just, you move here and you do this and that's it. Wow. So it's elegant. Um, low amount of time devoted to the player upkeep. So almost the complete opposite, right? If there's, if you're not having to keep track of that game state with a lot of different mechanics and, and logic, um, then it's elegant, I would say. And the player state, it's was very clear. My tableau. I only have my hit points and it doesn't mean that the game would have to be simple Um, but again you can have a very complex game with a lot of moving parts but between the physical the mechanical and the logistics and the cognitive it can be elegant Uh, very few exceptions so i think if things always happen a certain way um, it's less fiddle less going to the rule book and looking at things Um, of course low clutter and bits and um, the clean a clean ui helps to keep thing the game elegant And so, you know, obviously that goes um, back to it being fiddly with lots of stuff. So I'm somebody who loves board porn, all those tokens and chits and minis. I love all of that. Um, but it definitely can add to clutter and it can add to fiddliness. Like, why am I flipping this token and moving it? Wait, you take a brain, I'll take a heart and, you know, things like that. Um, An elegant game, less moving things off and on the board. So I think an elegant game, once you place it, it kind of stays there and that contributes to an elegant design, an elegant game. And, you know, that's not to say that the game state can't change, but, you know, uh, to me, a good example that's kind of fiddly and I might take some uh, flack from this from our listeners, but it's Zombicide. So Zombicide, I totally get it, right? Just, it's totally Hollywood, blast them. But there's a lot of zombies moving off the board, and then I blast them, and then I'm going back on, and it's just on and off, on and off. And it's not fiddly. Uh, I wouldn't categorize this as a fiddly game, but... Um, I think the less you move things on and off the board, the less fiddly it is. And again, more of an elegant game. And then going to the logical side of things, easy to score and track points. So this is very easy with a win condition. You know, uh, take Captain is Dead, for example. We win if this or this, we lose if this or this. It's very elegant. Um, So when you have a game that's, well, we can lose if this, but if this, and if you're the last person here, Except if it right, that's fiddly. That's just so complex to teach new people. And there's tons of games out there like that. And they're great. Um, But, you know, again, most people have committed to learning the rule set or they love the game and, um, you know, kind of take it like that. So for me, that's kind of uh, what I would categorize as fiddly Steve is. The amount of time devoted to upkeep, exceptions to exceptions, the physical, mechanical, logical sort of breakdown, and then the opposite is elegant, and and what does that really mean? And again, I've sat through games, I own games that I would categorize as fiddly, and you can house rule it. So a lot of times you might be able to house rule the game without breaking the design or the mechanics of the game or the fun, um, but just to streamline it a little bit. So that's kind of uh, my long-winded answer, uh, Steve, (laughs) for um, fiddly. Well kind of curious on your thoughts.
0: Yeah, so my thoughts are a little similar in some regard, but a little different other others as well. So I, I kinda narrowed it down to uh, numerous steps that add too much activity when you weigh it against the cognitive load or the reward you get for completion. So that kinda aligns with a little bit what you're saying, but also a little bit different. And what that means is if you're doing a lot of lot of like flipping cards and moving tokens around um and maybe you have a ton of them and there's a lot of things to do between um a decision a and the uh, next time you make another decision at b and there's a lot of that fluff in the middle of it that that minutiae that's what kind of weighs into feeling this for me but i i want to add that that exception that if it's doesn't feel like it's it weighs it weighs against that kind of load or reward like. If I'm doing all these little things between decision A and my next decision B, but I feel like that's at provides some value to me, then I wouldn't consider it fiddly, despite the fact you're doing a lot of these little things. So that's that's really what it boils down to me and how I, I break break that this dis- distinction. And so one example of this, and uh, sorry to say this, Mike on the uh, other side of co uh. Uh, Sentinels of the multiverse is what really jumps in my head when I think of fiddliness. That's like my my go to example, where I actually enjoy playing the game, but I really don't like playing it, um, in the analog version. I'll play in the, uh, the the digital version quite a bit, because in that game you have so many modifiers, where like I'm gonna have my my superhero get give plus one damage to everybody. Okay, cool. So I put a plus one damage out. And I have another guy that might give uh, do plus one uh, punch damage, but this this uh, enemy might have resistance or immune to punch damage. And so you really have to start laying out all these counters and like how much damage to reduce, how much damage to I deal, and add all this stuff up just to go from your decision of like, hey, yes, I'm going to do this action and attack this enemy versus the result, which is like, okay, I actually did XYZ effect to that enemy. And it just takes a while to get there. And I feel like for what me personally feel, I don't think the re- the actions add up to that reward for me. Um, Now, you used the term elegant for the opposite. Um, I can agree with that, I think, but I use the term uh, streamlined as my opposite, where I feel like the opposite of having numerous steps that have to add up to a cognitive load or reward for completing it and streamlined says, you know what? I'm minimizing all these steps as down to the bare necessities, so you're just focusing on that reward or that cognitive load, on whether or not it's heavy or light, um, where it you're really just enjoying the game, not having to worry about all the minutia. So one of the examples of streamlined I'll mention, or something that's definitely not Philly, is the game V Commandos. Where a couple examples of that is the map setup. I love, love, love the map set up in this game where you have three different sized tiles and on the f- one side is indoor, the other side is outdoor, and that's all you have. And you can literally grab any tiles you want to set up in the game. The art doesn't matter. At the Art Master, you can go fetch the specific art to match the campaign, but it really, you can do whatever you want. It it makes it easy. And then the line of sight rules in that game, that's one of my pet peeves sometimes is line of sight tends to get really... Uh, un- frustrating where it's like well i have to draw two lines from these this spot that spot and i had to go to this specific spot but if it crosses a corner is that blocked or not and can I see through enemies all the stuff and it just adds a lot to that and i know we're trying to go for realism but for the v commandos it made it real simple Where like hey you know what if i can move there i can shoot there it's that's it simple and you're just not focusing on all the stuff you're just playing the game you're focusing on your own strategy and tactics and having fun So granted, V Commandos is a lighter game. So uh, let's get back to the cognitive load aspect of it where, yeah, I'm not getting, you know, that big brain burn, but for the amount of work I'm doing, I'm getting a really nice reward for that, at least for me, subjectively. So I do feel like when people use the term Fiddly, it's generally in a negative context. But at the same time, at least for me, Fiddly isn't a deal breaker where I can play a game that definitely has Philly bits or fiddly components and I can get over it and still really enjoy the game. Um one game that comes to mind, um I can definitely see like Lord of the Rings, a living card game, having a Philly aspect to it when with all the phases and action windows in that game and how that's resolved. Uh definitely can feel overwhelming for, you know, the amount of tasks and steps you have to do to get to that, that reward or completion. Um but the overall reward of that game I feel very satisfied where that fiddliness doesn't really
1: bother me yeah and see there's a good example steve of fiddliness and what it means um you know you could have um new people people that are new to the hobby for example and you kind of like have somebody that i've explained like arkham horror you know the game or netrunner too and hey so you have this deck and here's what you have and it's like wow, that seems like a lot of work. It's kind of like it's a lot of fiddliness, and it's like, well, that's kind of the way the game works, though, and that's the design. So it's really so subjective that you know what one person would categorize, and then we have these war gamers with with tons of counters and tokens, and tr- you know tracking their stats and the and the amount of income their armies are making, and to them, these games aren't fiddly. And I look at them and it gives me a headache. So it's really quite interesting. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's, as I look at my collection, it's something that um, I'm willing to put up with fiddliness in a game. But generally, um, I would, to me, um, if the game is worth it, I will totally keep it and play it. Um, but probably the closest thing that I have in my collection, which is actually up for sale or trade, is Heroes of Normandy. And it's not even really fiddly um but for example to set up the game depending on the scenario you have a deck of cards and you have to kind of pull out a bunch of different cards for a scenario so there's certain cards that can't be in that scenario so that's kind of setup time right and fiddly for why why can't i just use all these cards and i get it the 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 balance um kind of fiddly for all the iconography and that's just that's kind of game design right there's plenty of games if we look at uh race for the galaxy um that that has a lot of iconography and that's just the design of the game so on one little uh cardboard token they're uh telling you very much a lot about this unit it can do this it can stealth it can flip over it has opportunity fire and all of that but it can be kind of fiddly right unless you're playing that game uh as a devoted sort of every day you have to commit those to memory and then there's exceptions if you this but he's in a building flip this unless there's smoke and it's just too fiddly for me for what it is. I mean, and and that's probably the, the most fiddly game I have in my collection. Um, another one I think that comes up, I remember the, teaching it for the first time was Robinson Crusoe. So, so I think when you break that game out, there's a lot going on and people can kind of see that. I wouldn't categorize it as fiddly, but um, for somebody new, there's a lot going on. And it can be fiddly for somebody like that, you know to me there's not a lot of cognitive load. it's more what can I do on my turns there's a lot going on and again, I wouldn't categorize it as fiddly personally, but that's just a good example where somebody's like ah there's just there's too much uh, there's this thing over here and this tracker over here, and this and to them it was fiddly um but once you get into that game and you play, it makes very sense mechanically, like how everything flows in you know logistically, so it's kind of interesting that you're giving some examples and I find in my collection, I tend to only keep what I love. And so I actually kind of tend to shy away from fiddliness.
0: Yeah, it's interesting bringing out that point because I remember being in a game store. Uh, this is actually back in Iowa, I believe. And uh, someone, uh, another patron was looking at some games and we started chatting and started asking about some of some, uh asked my advice on a few things. So I was just giving some pointers. And I remember suggesting, I think it was King of Tokyo for him. Um, you know, he was, he was looking for some type of like a like an easygoing uh, type of uh, fun party type game experience, and so you know I hand him the box, and the first thing he does, is he flips it over, and he looks at all the all the little, little cubes and cards and components, that and it's like, and he immediately puts it back in the shelf, and he turns to me and says, "Yeah, just there's too too many components in this game, too too many things in here. I it, no, I, I want something less than that." So it was it was interesting seeing something like I consider King of Tokyo not really fiddly at all to be honest but the the assumption that components equals fiddliness or or cognitive load uh in that real example really stood out to me
1: yeah that's uh, that's not a game i would categorize and that's kind of like what i feel too is um as you enter the hobby you know most of us i don't know many people who've started out with war games or like really crazy complex games most of us start with a pandemic right or some of these easier games dixit or whatever and then I feel once you learn how these designer board games work, you kind of step up. It's kind of like starting with the crappy beer right at the ballpark, and <laughs> and you and you slowly graduate to the ales and the lagers and the stouts, and you know you kind of move your way up. and And I don't know, maybe that that happens in um, in the board gaming as well, because you know you could maybe find that guy. Right, that patron now, and it'd be crazy. They might be playing like Imperial Salt or really, you know, fun kind of crazy games that had a lot going on. That when you look back at King of Tokyo, isn't fiddly at all. So quite interesting how that works.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that kind of stems into the the I don't know the language we develop as people in the board game community. Where if I say the words worker placement, I would suspect many of our listeners know exactly what that means, right? But if someone coming into the hobby for the first time you have to just explain these these uh, uh, common mechanics that I guess we're used to seeing, right? Like worker placement or deck builder or something like that. And as you get more involved in the hobby and play more games, that cognitive load, the number of steps in your mind you needed to take to complete these mechanics becomes less taxing. And so maybe something that you thought uh, was fairly upfront Later on becomes less fluid, like you were suggesting, Elijah. I do think that's a an excellent point.
1: And just a quick comment about that, Steve. So uh, it's interesting that a lot of times when you break out a game, we were just talking about this recently. That you know, when you get a new game, you read through the rulebook. You're like, oh, this is the timer in the game. Um, this is the end game mechanic. This is you know, kind of how you do the whatever. And so. you you sort of learn how to learn. And they say that with languages as well, kind of a side tangent that once you learn a first language, other languages are easier because you've learned how to learn a language. And so kind of interesting. So, but I I definitely love your... um, your description, the numerous steps that uh, add too much activity so you know for the brain burn. So um, why don't we hop over to some of the comments on the Slack chat, Steve, and um, kind of hear what some of the uh, followers or uh, Slack folks are saying.
0: So yeah, I said this earlier in the podcast, but we have a Slack ch- uh, channel. If you're not familiar with Slack, it's basically a, uh, a group chat where you can have different uh, channels and categories to talk about different topics. Uh, But we have one specific for One Stop Co-op Shop and Co-op Cast, and the link will be in the description of this episode if you want to join. But we opened the question out to our members on that community and asked them what they consider fiddly. So um, one of our members named Aristotle, he said that fiddly could be synonymous with bookkeeping. So for him, it was the number of more steps required to resolve a task, give examples of like, well, let's say if I wanna roll a a D20 dice and I need to roll something greater than 15, that's very low fiddliness. So, but if you need to do something that adds modifiers, we're like, okay, now that 15, I need to add plus two because that person's a cover, uh, but now it's dark or light and it's minus one and then, you really have to keep adding to that. It's not just a simple role anymore. So that really adds to it.
1: So hopping over to Chris, uh, he says, I think th- I think, of fiddliness as the level of mechanical mental load. Uh, it sounds very similar to what you're saying, Steve. Um, how long is the list of things I have to remember mechanically about how to resolve an action? How many steps are there to get from my intent as a player to the intended result? And I, he says, I separate this from strategic mental load in which keeping a lot of your in your head creates player value you can strategize better fiddliness isn't value add it's just the overhead of keeping the lights on and keeping the game moving so um, thanks for that comment Chris uh, quite interesting and and I would definitely agree with you on that and Kent he suggested that fiddliness is uh, a
0: lot of rules for one simple action and it was interesting when he was talking about it he never really bothered with fiddliness in games and because he can't think of an example of it but he's heard of people saying that you know maybe Mage Knight, or Twilight Imperium, or Starcraft, or Arkwright have or fiddly, but it it doesn't bother him. So that was getting back to uh, a little bit to our discussion earlier, where yeah, a game might be fiddly, but maybe it doesn't bother you. Maybe it bothers other people. This maybe that type of fiddliness bothers certain people, or maybe it comes down to um, your your library of game mechanics, where now this doesn't bother you as much as it would have done in the past. So. Yep, so I was Kent.
1: And Patrick says too many things to keep track of to do them right and to remember to do them. So again I think this goes back to, uh, you know, exceptions to rules or, or just a lot of that game state. Um, he also says the cognitive load needed to play the game correctly that detracts from immersion and fun and the reason why Sentinels of the Multiverse is more fun for some people as an app. And I, I think you did talk about that, right Steve, Sentinels of the Multiverse?
0: Yep, I completely agree. The- I actually enjoy the game quite a bit, but Right now, it's just an app for me, so.
1: And Peter from
0: CoopCast said, when I lose track of the game flow or story because I have to keep checking the rules, I'm messing with pieces.
1: Yeah, and I think that echoes, Steve, a little bit of what I was saying with uh, messing with pieces things on and off and, and flip this and wait, what was that? And, you know, there's a lot of that where it can even be mechanically fiddly or just um, and you start to lose track of, wait, where was I at because of this? You know, and, and I definitely have had that with games. Usually when you're playing them for the first time, you have, you know, wait, where was I? But um it's quite interesting that um, we have that. So Jason here, he says, to me, fiddly means how many things I need to keep track of at any given time. Dungeon crawlers, in his opinion, tend to be very fiddly. Um, and and that, I think, makes sense as well. So um, say you have a, a day-night tracker over here, and you have a health tracker, and then we have the round tracker, and we have the this tracker, and then there's this, and then this guy's here, and what was his state from here, and are you reloading, and where was that? It's a, that's very fiddly. It's just that cognitive... Um, a lot going on the game state Uh, so interesting jason thanks for your comment
0: and another comment mike also from the co-op cast he says that maybe not quite the same thing but when i spend more time controlling the ai or running through steps or phases than i spend making choices and actually playing the game so yeah i feel like this comment kind of uh, is targeted towards some dungeon calls for sure like imperial salt or sword and sorcery or maybe even Gloomhaven to an extent where yeah you make your decision and you have to see what the enemy does and sometimes resolving those enemy um logic could take a while and in, like enough actual game time before you actually make your next, next decision so yeah that's it yeah, being definitely fiddly for for people
1: and our next comment comes from joseph he says i think it comes down to the ratio of playing time versus messing around time that could be set up and tear down putting things on the board table complicated rules or table lookups frequency of these interruptions um i definitely agree with you there even is this is a great example set up and tear down um you know with a lot of dungeon crawls uh, look at imperial salt right you're playing you got to set aside the map and the tokens and the chits um that is fiddly. I just want to break out the game and play. Now, if you're committed to the game and you love it, um, you can have that game set up in advance, you know, of course, Um, but uh, it can be kind of fiddly. I mean, I don't know many people that are meeting up at a local, um, your favorite local game store and setting up these huge games that take time. I mean you know, you're going to do it if you love the game. But obviously, the faster playtime, faster setup, it could be better for those who, you know, aren't into the hobby and, and don't know that the game. So
0: And last but not least, we have Jan. He says a game is Philly when either it has its mechanisms not aligned with its theme, which causes him to not be able to easily memorize them and not find them intuitive, or when it uses components that are hard to handle the intended way. So he's talking about the actual fiddly. Uh, physical and you know, messing around with stuff so so that's interesting talking about how you know using the theme to help teach the mechanics of the game and i think that's a really smart game design decision it's interesting to pull it into fiddliness where yeah if you don't have a strong theme to, su- to support the mechanics you're having to spend more cognitive load to keep that in the back of your head rather than just enjoying playing the game because it doesn't really it's a, a piece of the puzzle that doesn't really fit in the jigsaw of cognitive load in your mind, right? So that's kind of an cl- uh, interesting way of approaching it.
1: Yeah, and he's saying here, not easily to memorize them as well. And, and again, if there's a huge right. disconnect between the mechanisms or the mechanics of the game and the theme, it, how in the world, right? If I'm a cop, I'm doing what? That doesn't make sense. But if I'm a superhero doing this, I mean, you're going to remember that, right? And that's that cognitive load. It just flows. It makes sense. I, I totally agree with this. And so that's going to wrap up our discussion on Fiddly. So, uh, Steve, I think we had some great discussion here on Fiddly. I really appreciate the community on Slack chiming in to give us some feedback. Uh, As always, that's much appreciated. We'd love to share what you guys uh, say in the show. And, um, again, if you're not on Slack, go ahead and uh, feel free to join us. The details are in the show notes. Steve will talk about them in a second, but, um, I just want to kind of end, at least from my perspective, that fiddly is kind of an open-ended thing. It means everything different. Um, somebody just getting into the hobby that King of Tokyo is going to be fiddly and we have, you know, very seasoned people. And so it's just, uh, we had a good discussion here, Steve. I think, um, really good time. And that's going to bring the podcast to a close. So if you have any news or any upcoming games you would like us to discuss, go ahead and um, let us know about that. Um, So you can join us on Slack through the link in the show notes, and you are always welcome to shoot us an email. We read all the comments, and we'll try to cover them in our next show. And with that, we will see you at the next stop. Thanks. Have a good one, guys. Thanks for joining us for another episode
0: of Co-opCast, your one-stop for cooperative game news and reviews. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please review us on iTunes. And while you're there, check out Mindless Fate. They provide our bumper music. Also, check out Colin on his YouTube channel, One Stop Co-op Shop, and follow us on Facebook at One Stop Co-op Cast. Finally, join our Slack group by emailing us at MVP Board Games for continued
1: discussion on these topics throughout the week. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. How about yourself, Steve? What have you been up to? Not prepared for that at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, you asked me, and I'm like, yeah, we got to throw it back at you, so.
0: <laughs> so that was Nemo's War, Bold and Caring, and Dramatis Personae. God dang it. Personae, right?
1: Is it personi? I think, isn't it? Personae, God.
0: I cannot. Say <laughs> this.
1: Okay. And buy it if you want to be bored. <laughs> do not put that in, dude. Oh, that's going to be an uh,
0: outtake. We need to talk about this. <laughs> this might be a battle of the uh the Steve versus Elijah. Oh, let's do it. Throw down.
1: <laughs> oh man uh no but there is if you don't buy this version there's um pandemic the original there's pandemic the campground version pandemic spain version pandemic the outhouse version i think uh, am i right isn't there a pandemic the (laughs) zoo version and pandemic the candy land version and (laughs) so join us next week and we will see you and we will steve you at the next shop (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my god dude i mashed up shop stop <laughs> steve oh my god see oh my gosh that was terrible we will steve you at the next shop <laughs> that's freaking silly <laughs>